welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Todd, and Dude. Oh yeah, here we are. It's Album Nerd Podcast time. I'm Dude. Andy and Don are here as well. Andy, good morning. How you doing? <laughs> good morning to you. Feeling pretty good. I could say uh, I'm more than a feeling good. You shouldn't, but yes, you could say that. Dawn. <laughs> <laughs> how the hell are you <laughs> uh well i'm excited to talk about a a great year in in our history that's right here in america okay so uh yeah we like to talk about albums the album format we've got three of those that we'll be talking about today that's music albums We'll be answering a question, and we're going to spin the wheel of musical destiny to find out what kind of albums we'll talk about next time. But this week, we're focusing on three albums from the bicentennial year, 1976. That's what I'm talking about! Yeah, 1976, of course, was a leap year, and uh, as was uh, suggested, uh, it was the the bicentennial uh, celebration of the United States. Jimmy Carter defeated Gerald Ford in the presidential election. Uh, It was the year the uh, Apple computer company was founded. The National Basketball Association merged with the American Basketball Association. And it was also a, you know, a great year for, for films, which we'll, we'll talk about later. But yeah, we're here to talk about the, the music of, of 1976. And it, it certainly was an interesting year. Each one of us is going to uh, present an album that was released the year of our bicentennial. All right. So 1976, I was very little so i feel like i kind of missed out on some of it what about you guys what are your feelings when you hear 1976 what do you what do you think about think about like afros big bell bottom pants disco funk that kind of stuff yeah it was the the year i was born so i i don't really remember it but i have yeah images in my head of of kind of i guess like sort of your mother's womb? Yes, right. But I think I think like uh, Partridge <laughs> had a family. disco ball yeah. in there. <laughs> um, but also, you know, I do know that this was kind of a, a you know a good time in in rock and roll. You know, so I, I picture some um, some of the great album covers. Uh, maybe they weren't 1976, but that, that period of the the 70s was was great for certain aspects of rock and roll. So uh, I know we picked three. Any albums that we didn't pick that stuck out to you that were close there were a couple that i was really considering like david bowie's station to station we talked about him not too long ago so the other one i wanted to mention i thought was really cool is a japanese jazz album that came across probably the only time i've ever heard a japanese jazz album a guy by the name of ryo fuku <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. That sucks when a sound from another language sounds like something stupid in English. You might have to beep that out. F-U-K-U-I is the spelling of, yes, of that last thank name. Thank you. We need uh, Alex Trebek on the show here to help out with those mm-hmm. pronunciations. He wouldn't giggle either. Yeah. Well, the album's called Scenery. It's a beautiful piano jazz album. I really did enjoy it, but I didn't think it fit on the show. We're talking about U.S. specific stuff, so... How about you, Don? 
Well, I think, I mean, if I had to pick the best album of the year, I would say it's probably Stevie Wonder's Songs in the Key of Life. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but because we already have inner visions in the, in the Ainhoff, uh, you know, I decided we could, you know, probably wait on that album, but we should probably cover it in the, in the future. Cause I, I think that could be his best. It's a big album too. It's a tackle. I thought about Aerosmith Rocks. I thought about Rush 2112. Listen to the Eagles Hotel California a few times. And I like that album, but it wasn't what I was looking for for this week. Even ACDC, High Voltage and Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap came out in 76. Those aren't my favorite ACDCs, so I want to wait on when I get a chance to talk about that band. So I guess we should probably get to the things that we actually chose. You choo-choo choose me? All right, all right, all right. So we're my selection here, going with what I would consider one of the iconic records from 1976 and maybe the 70s in general from a little-known band by the name of Boston. Self-titled debut. We're going to play a song you may have heard before. It's a little bit of More Than a Feeling. More Than a Feeling. Yes, wicked awesome. Indeed. Wicked, wicked awesome. Uh, so yeah, Boston, uh, known for their big melodic hooks and clean vocals, big guitar sounds, kind of anthemic hand clapping and all that stuff in here. Uh, Boston was largely the project of Tom Schultz. Tommy. <laughs> yes, Tommy. Tommy, <laughs> Tommy, over here. <laughs> it's a pretty interesting story. So he he really wrote and performed and produced and recorded the majority of this record in his basement, as a matter of fact, <laughs> and sent tapes around and finally got picked up by Epic Records and ended up releasing this record. The band was kind of an afterthought. Many of the members, you know, were kind of just called in as more like studio musicians to fill in a role and ended up kind of becoming part of one of the largest groups in, in rock history. So I, you know, this record has a lot of nostalgic value for me personally, but I think uh, I think there's some value here from a musical perspective as well. There's a lot of interesting recording techniques used and has uh, a really iconic sound. Whether or not you think the music is maybe a little overplayed or overhyped because it, pretty much every song on this record was played at some point on uh, pop radio or classic rock radio, depending on your age. So yeah, the three words I came up with were precision, basement, pop. What did you think, Don? Well, my three words were very similar. I did uh, sophisticated homebrew. Yeah, I mean, it, it is amazing. So, you know, the guy's doing this uh, in, in his basement. Um, and yet, it you know, I mean, it sounds just, you know, so sophisticated. It's, uh, it's so clean. So it's, I mean, it really is a, like a masterpiece of production. You know, so while this is, a, I mean, it's a great sounding album. I, I feel like in some ways it, it opened the door for some of the evils that would come later, you know, with that really clean rock production that, that kind of poisoned the, the 80s. But, uh, but I, I won't blame Tommy for it. <laughs> yeah, you can't blame Tommy for uh, doing what he envisioned, right? Which was to bring this big, clean, bombastic sound. And he did it. He did it, though, with help. We can't forget Brad Delp, the lead singer uh, on this album. They had worked together in some other projects. So I, I just wanted to point that out, that uh, although Tom is the 
uh, mastermind behind all the songwriting and the production, Brad should get a lot of credit here too. That being said, my three words to describe this album are fun, stadium, sing-alongs, because that's really what it is. I mean, it gets swept up in the moments. It's huge. Uh, the one thing that I find fascinating, though, however, Andrew, is your distaste for stadium rock in general, like the post-grunge stuff that's kind of popular now is stadium rock or the Bon Jovi's and Def Leppard's of the 80s. It was stadium rock. You hate that stuff, man. So I was very shocked when you picked Boston. Uh, what's the deal, man? <laughs> you know, I like to keep you on your toes, man. Bobbing and weaving over here. You don't know what to see coming from my end. Uh, yeah, this is a little like, weird. Like I said, it's more of a nostalgic value for me. So like my father had this record. We listened to it a lot growing up. I love the album art, looked at the vinyl like for hours probably, <laughs> just trying to figure out what's going on on that cover. You know, and a lot of it, like Don and I were talking earlier, like I haven't listened to classic rock radio in probably 20 years. So I haven't heard these songs with the exception of maybe like a baseball game or football game or something. So it's just a breath of fresh air. And there's something very innocent about this music. Really, all these songs from the 70s sound so unjaded compared to, to modern music. And that just, it's just is what it is. It's, it's a kind of nostalgic record about largely about music and memories and how they kind of get tied together. And I think there's some things here to, that are pretty innovative and still kind of cool to listen back to. One of the things they're noted for in their sound is the use of like switching from acoustic to electric guitar, kind of in the same same track. One of those examples happens on the third cut here, which is entitled Foreplay slash Long Time. A little bit of that now. Those kind of moments are just, just built for like that big arena rock where people can just, you know, clap their hands and had Bob along with those big anthemic moments. Uh, you know, is it, it's hard to say they were selling out because they were a new band. This is one guy in his basement, but it does kind of have that vibe. Yeah, I don't think that they actually, I don't think anybody actually sells out. I think you just make the music you feel like making. And if some of what, uh, in this case, it seems like it was just creativity in the basement. But I mean, for those bands that are called sellouts because they make something commercial. So what? (laughs) (laughs) Who cares? Exactly. Yeah, it's pop music, right? It's designed for popular consumption. Yeah. Yeah. I think it really at its heart, this is pop and like it has rock elements. But one of the cuts that I saw them play quite a bit live, and I think in a way, an ironic sort of way, kind of sums up the band or the band in quotes um, is. The next cut, uh, rock and roll band, which is kind of the idea of like a band, like kind of earning its keep touring on the road to, you know, climb the ranks of the, and get signed to a label, which is like the exact opposite path that Boston yeah. took. But yet they have this sort of made up song that kind of gives their history. Let's play a little bit of rock and roll band now. Energy that you talk about. Reminds me of like Loggins and Messina with Kenny Loggins and Messina. Uh, <laughs> I want to say it was Joey and Tommy, but Joe I'm not D. sure. <laughs> but they were more kind of like taking the your mama don't dance and your daddy don't rock and roll kind of sound. But it has that that same kind of vibe, but modernized for 1976, almost 
futurized. Their sound is very futuristic. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, the one thing you just reminded me of, uh, dude, was uh, when I was listening to this. I kept hearing sheepdogs like yes over and over again, like that big harmonies and the the choruses there and. Uh, and then the the guitar mini type stuff, yeah. probably double, double tracking on some of the guitar stuff. But yeah, I yeah I hear that for sure. What's great about it is just that there's that balance, you know. So it's like this meticulously produced album, yet it still has you know that that soul and that that life to it. Because I I think sometimes you can go too far and you know just make an album too perfect and and really take the 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 life out of it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Which is pretty impressive when you think about just one guy kind of piecing this together and recording this part and then recording that part and laying it back over. Like, to keep that energy is is impressive. All right. So, yeah, Boston, Boston. It's a pretty good album if you haven't heard it in a while. Just turn on the classic rock radio station. You pretty much can hear the whole thing or check it out on all the streaming platforms. Excuse me. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Now it's time on the show when we ask ourselves a question. 1976, a band of yeah. It was great for movies too, not just albums. What was your favorite film to come out that year? There's a lot to choose from. I'm not going to list them all, but there were a lot. What do you guys like? Man, I think probably my favorite, or what I think is the best movie from that year, would be Taxi Driver. Have you guys, that's a, it's a hard film to get through, but man, it's pretty rewarding. Probably one of the grittier films I can think of. You're talking to me? <laughs> well, who the hell else are you talking to? Talking to me? Yeah. I mean, you're talking to me is kind of the moment it's there. Iconic, right? I mean, it seems like something that would be made today because of the the political ugliness that's going on. Still relevant after all these years. Yes. And Robert De Niro's awesome in it. So yeah, it's a great movie. Yeah. The other one I just mentioned quickly is a little easier to watch. I just just saw a few years ago for the first time is uh Car Wash. Just kind of like a day in the life of a bunch of young kids at a say like inner city car wash. It's fun. It's more of like a summer kind of easy comedy if you haven't seen it. It's worth checking out. Don? Uh, I think probably my favorite movie from that year would be uh, Network, um, and that's a that's another kind of dark one. You know, maybe still fits the the political climate and the the media climate today. But I also I, I like that film a lot just because it's also kind of silly and and tongue in cheek, and it's over the top. I don't know. It's it's just quite a it's quite an experience, and it has that one catchphrase that was popular for many years. The virus. And I'm not going to take this anymore. <laughs> it was in like commercials and stuff. <laughs> First time I saw that movie was in high school in a media class. We watched that movie and my teacher had us all at that part of the movie go to the, we opened the windows and all got to scream <laughs> at, <laughs> out the window. That's cool teacher. That is cool. <laughs> all right. So for me, the, the Oscar winner of 1976. Sorry about the Boston stuff. Stupid band is making me do bad Bostonian <laughs> accents. <laughs> I can't help it. What movie are you picking? Uh, it's pretty simple. I said it was the Aska winner. It's uh, Rocky. Oh, yeah. Of course. I mean, dude, I can't get enough Rocky my whole life. I have every Rocky movie. I've watched every Rocky movie multiple times. I quote it all the time. I freaking love it. <laughs> I used to shadow box all over town whenever I'd see a Rocky movie on TV. <laughs> And I am an uncoordinated dude, so I'm sure it was very funny to those. <laughs> but like the Creed movies, even the recent ones with Apollo Creed's son mm-hmm. and Rocky's his like Rocky's his coach, like his Mickey. Love those two. Like I, I could, 
I could spend weeks just watching Rocky movies. Probably could. There's yeah. so many of them now. I heard they might make a prequel series about young Rocky. Of course. Oh, that'd be beautiful. <laughs> well, and I mean, this first movie is, I mean, that really is a, I mean, that's a film. You know, it's a great yeah. uh, work of art. And then, I mean, the rest are just kind of continuing a, a franchise. But the, the first one is really, you know, I think just a, a special movie. And it's the kind of thing, anytime it's on, I'll, I'll stop and, and watch it. So what about y'all? Movies from 1976, do you have any favorites? Especially, like, we picked some pretty well-known things. Got anything a little deeper? I mean, a little deeper <laughs> that you might want to let us know? Albumnerds.com slash Discord. All right, all right, all right. Okay, so uh, I'm going to talk about the seventh studio album from the American band Earth, Wind, and Fire called Spirit. Let's start uh, with the, the first track on the album. This is uh, Get Away. So uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire were, were formed in Chicago in 1969 uh, by a gentleman known as uh, Maurice White. You know, since then, there's been a, a rotating cast of, of characters, uh, most notably uh, Philip Bailey, you know, who's responsible for uh, those falsetto vocals, and Verdine White, who, who plays uh, bass and also contributes vocals. They actually named their, their horn section the Phoenix Horns. It's uh, Don Merrick on saxophone, Louis Louis Satterfield on trombone, Romley, Michael Davis, and Michael Harris on, on trump. So the, the three words uh, I chose to describe the album are progressive, soulful, funk. You know, because we were choosing records from 1976, I also checked out the there was a Parliament album that year and a Funkadelic uh, album that year, and I found myself contrasting this uh, from those. And it's fun, but it's just like a, a little bit more serious i think and it's more you know more spiritual and and perhaps a you know a bit more progressive than than what you know george clinton was doing at the time what would you guys think of spirit the three words i used to describe this album are horny future pop you talking about the, the phoenix horns or are you talking about something else? well maybe a little of both right i mean <laughs> double entendre it's a triple entendre mofo Oof. whatever that is <laughs> Yeah, so the the horniness is mostly the horn section. It's just so clean and sharp the way that they use the horns with those ben and in it type things, and you hear, hear so much of that in music coming later with, you know, like the Michael Jackson albums and of the early '80s, late '70s and early '80s. Even Thriller has these moments with this horn stuff. All that the '80s R&B pop was totally, completely influenced by this. And disco was influenced by this. Other funk bands were influenced by this and maybe made it a little dirtier, like George Clinton. Um, a little more street. This is a little more soaring and a little more accessible. Yeah, my three words were uh, Parliament Soul, Daddy-O. Definitely gravitated more towards the funkier side of this record, which there is a fair amount. Yeah, I would kind of mirror what dude said in terms of the being like a little more adult sounding i guess not like a sexual way but like more grown up compared to parliament mature yeah yeah and it is spiritual but i never once felt like it was cheesy or like religious or like trying to convince me of some religious message it just felt like it was you know spiritual man like just kind of of 
a higher level, I guess, in terms of what they're getting at. So I appreciate that. So yeah, pretty good. I actually, I mean, I liked when the the album kind of went into a more progressive direction. Like really, like the the last two tracks were, were quite surprising to me. I when I decided to to do this album, you know, that's really what stuck out to me. The second to last track is a instrumental. I don't know if it's pronounced bio or bio. Um, let's let's hear some of that. Yeah, and that uh, you know eventually we we get into the to the final track called "Burn and Bush," which is like a you know a kind of a, a seven or eight minute epic. Uh, let's let's hear a, a little bit of that. I was a little disappointed. I thought it was going to be about uh, sexually transmitted diseases, but instead it was a uh, really cool yeah. instrumental. Is it part of that triple entendre? <laughs> <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Number three. Yeah, so those are my you know favorite moments on, on the album. But, uh, you know, as Andy said, there's lots of funk on this. And, you know, really the, the A-side is, is uh, you know, mostly up-tempo and, and disco-y. You know, for me, what I, you know, think of with, with Earth, Wind, and Fire is that the vocal harmonies. So, you know, as I said before, you know, Philip Bailey has that falsetto. And then, uh, you know, Maurice White, you know, kind of has more of that, you know, those those deeper tones. Oh, Philip Bailey, no wonder why I kept getting Easy Lover in my head all week. Because him and Phil Collins duetted on that. That's why. Supposed to hold up, hold up, and control. Dude, yeah, yep. it's well set up, man. Holy cow, he pushes that thing yeah. to the limit on this record. It's yep. unbelievable. <laughs> he hangs you on to it. You could say he goes, he goes right to that line where yes, he does. <laughs> right, right before his vocal cords ripped to pieces. <laughs> yeah, so Earth, Wind, and Fire. It's it's those vocals and it's it's those horns and it's that funk. Well, even the name of the band. It totally everything that every album that they've done, those are the elements, right, of life, and they they live up to it. On all the albums I've heard, they live up to their name and to that spiritual, like the muse. It's like they're hmm. touching the muse, and it's pretty cool. Yeah, and I think uh, I think Maurice White was into like astrology and stuff like that. Um, the person who had uh, been producing and uh, arranging a lot of the music for Earth, Wind, and Fire actually passed away during the recording of oh, this geez. this album. Uh, Charles Stepney. Uh, so Maurice White took over kind of midway through. He obviously, does uh, you know an excellent job finishing uh, finishing it off. And I, I believe he went on to self produce a lot of the the future records. It sounds good. I mean, you really can hear every instrument clearly, and it's very very evenly mixed. I would say. And when you when you listen through, there's also um, I, I don't know a, a lot about African instrumentation and stuff like that, but I hear you know I hear Africa in, in some of these songs. It's not a, it's it's somewhat subtle, you know. I mean, these this isn't African music, but it, it it's there in in it, right? Well, there yeah, there's definitely world music elements. I think that's part of what makes this so much more mature and fuller than the other funk things that there were other influences coming in. Okay, so the, from uh, September 1976, that is Spirit by Earth, Wind, and Fire. And now a word from our sponsor, us. This is friendship. Pure, unadulterated friendship. Oh, yeah. Are you a music fan? Love the album format? Need to share your sophisticated musical palette? Join us on the Album Nerds Discord, albumnerds.com slash discord, to talk with like-minded nerds, suggest topics for the show, and to get a sneak peek at what is coming next. All right, all right, all right. All right. It is my turn. All right, we're going to talk about (laughs) an album called All Right. 
No, the album called Rising by the band Rainbow. It's not what you think. I mean, you hear the band Rainbow, you think it's going to be some like Sesame mm-hmm. Street shit, right? It's not? No. <laughs> but it is absolutely not. Let's uh, start off with the track Run With The Wolf. All right, so that was Rainbow. The song is Run With The Wolf from the album Rising from May of 1976. Rainbow, a band founded by Richie Blackmore of Deep Purple fame. He also was mentioned briefly on a on our hair metal episode where we talked about White Snake, since David Coverdale was a member of Deep Purple at one time. Uh, Ronnie James Dio, Ronald James Padavona is the singer. I mean, Richie Blackmore is great. The instrumentation is great, but that's really what brings this thing home as Ronnie James Dio starts to establish himself as the artist he would become. The three words I used to describe this album were metal taking form. Heavy metal wasn't a full thing yet. I mean, we had Black Sabbath, we had Led Zeppelin, we had Deep Purple, we had stuff making the foundations for it. And Ronnie James Dio and and this album in particular, starts to establish that vocal style that a lot of artists took on, that that wailing yet steady voice. Fellas, thoughts on Rainbow and Rising? My three words were rainbow with teeth. Mm. Ouch. Yes, this rainbow bites. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's, he's a menacing dude, man. All these songs just sound like he's like trying to get in a fight with you or something. Really, really enjoyed it though, overall. Like a really solid rhythm section, and I felt like the music was interesting and shifting. And actually, the end of this record I thought was primo, chef's kiss for me on the last two tracks. But the rest of it's pretty good too, except for Do You Close Your Eyes, which I felt like was super cringy. But other than that, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do You Close Your Eyes While You're Making Love to Me? <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. It, oh, it, that song sounded a little bit like a Kiss song to me in terms of the yeah, the the, totally. the way it was written, the way it it played out. But not I love Kiss, but I would have liked to have talked about them on the show today too. But I've already brought them up like three or four times over the years. So, <laughs> past your Kiss quota, yes. Okay. Well, the uh, the three words I used to describe, and I apologize. I'm actually I'm using the word progressive again, but maybe that says something about the the nature of 1976, as you have these different genres becoming you know more progressive. Um, but so yeah, I just said progressive meets metal. I mean, there, you know, there's straightforward rock or kind of like deep purple metal, but it's like they're they're going a step further. You know, they're adding some some orchestration. Yeah, I mean that uh, again. It's like those those final two tracks really really make the album. But the, I mean the, the the whole thing is is really good, and you know I, I love Dio's voice. I mean I don't know that I would love it all of the time. You know I mean it, I guess it, it can become a, a bit much. But you know when I think of like great metal voices, you know I think of Dio and David Coverdale. You know maybe Rob Halford. So yeah, and you can you can really hear the. I guess the evolution into like Judas Priest. Yeah, um, Soaring Wings of Destiny, Judas Priest album from 76. I thought about that one too. It's l- not like the Judas Priest we've come to know. It's a little more in the bluesy vein and some, you know, sort of similar to this in its sound as well. So, well, so the 
the last two tracks on the album are each eight minutes plus long. So they are side two. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So why don't we jump into one of those since we've all mentioned the strength of them. Let's listen to a little bit of Stargazer. Whoa. I mean, that song alone blows my mind. Uh, (laughs) You you got the galloping sound of Led Zeppelin in there a little bit, and the inclusion of the keyboards and the drumming is great. I mean, we we should definitely mention the other members of the band. We have drummer Cozy Powell, bassist Jimmy Bain, and keyboard player Tony Carey. Tony gets a lot of play on the... The, the final song. Uh, why don't we hit a little bit of that one too? This is the last song on the album, A Light in the Black. Let's check that one out. So yeah, I mean, those last two songs are spanning all sorts of sounds and they are progressive metal. I mean, and I think this is this is kind of the beginning of that sound. Uh, Martin Birch was the producer, and he was well known for working with lots of bands, including Deep Purple, Rainbow, Fleetwood Mac, White Snake, Black Sabbath, Blue Oyster Cult, and Iron Maiden. Kind of makes sense, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because that vocal style certainly was taken on by many of the new wave of British heavy metal bands. Uh, this is much more influential than I remembered. I mean, I'd listen to this just because I like Ronnie James Dio and I like what he did with Black Sabbath and I like the band Dio, but I never really dug in, dug in. Yeah, I'm feeling, I'm almost feeling ain't offy here. Wow. I didn't think oh I was. Oh my gosh. Get case <laughs> of the ain't hoffs. Yeah, I think I do have a case of the ain't hoffs. Oh my gosh. Ain't hoff alert. <laughs> Album Nerds Hall of Fame nomination incoming. Warning. An ain't hoff outbreak is imminent. <laughs> so I'm going to nominate this for the uh, Album Nerds Ooh. Hall of Fame. Oh my gosh. All right. Interesting. It's influence. It's not only influence on metal, but on progressive rock in general, what Blackmore was able to do and take that next step into the sound he wanted to make because he didn't like where Deep Purple was going. The band Elf that uh, was merged into this and then split, uh, they kicked everyone out but Ronnie. Uh, Elf was more of a blues rock kind of a thing, but Ryan James Dio just took over uh, rock and roll and heavy metal here. So, yep. I'm nominating it. All right. Putting us on the spot here, Don. Hmm. Surprise nomination. Yeah. I mean, I would, the last two songs are, I would say, among the best that I've heard of in the genre from like the 70s and 80s. So, but the beginning is kind of middle of the road. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but think about, think about Tarot Woman has a really nice start. I like the keyboardy thing at the beginning. It tricks you. I was like, what is happening here? Run with a Wolf, I think, is is great. Starstruck is an interesting story. Don't you know about being a, having a stalker, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, Stargazer yeah. and A Light in the in the Black are mind blowing. The story on Stargazer and and Light in the Black are really unique and interesting. And I find myself kind of taken by that. The wizard and this tower, and he's got like this slave army. It's really interesting. That's the other element that was brought to to metal here. Really, was that power metal fantasy. element of all the fantasy stuff. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Led Zeppelin did their part too. Yeah, because yeah. Sabbath before that, I mean, they were just like the fantasy elements they were doing were like devil stuff 
or you know satan's right satan's stuff right <laughs> <laughs> not quite the rainbow flavor <laughs> all right so uh i've been yapping enough andy yes or no is dolly parton involved with this album at all or? yes she wrote <laughs> no, all the songs <laughs> i can make up for my previous pick then i will say yes i will second your nomination on rainbow rising dot huh um yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's uh, an important record, and I'm actually I was quite shocked by it because I mean I knew Dio was in Rainbow, but I hadn't listened to to that Rainbow stuff. The Rainbow I knew was from like MTV, and they, they had like Joe Lynn. Tur- I mean, it was they were more like Boston or Foreigner uh, at right. the time, so mm-hmm. it was uh, oh, wow. it was interesting listening to this. Uh, yeah, I mean Dio is great, and he's great on this album. You know, Blackmore is is great, so. Uh, I'll vote yes. That's our first ad hoc Ainhoff. <laughs> it goes to the, the special wing of the, the, the ad hocs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All That's right. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had thought about it during the week, but then today just talking about it with you guys helped hammer home how it is an important album. So I'm glad that uh, we got a chance to do that. Yeah. So go check out Rainbow Rising and uh, let that first half acclimate you and then enjoy the ride on the, on the side B. All right. After much reflection on the year 1976, what did we learn? What things didn't we know about ourselves before this exercise? Gentlemen, you know, I think I, I kind of wish I was born like 10 or 20 years earlier. I feel like this would have been a great <laughs> yeah. time to grow up. Personally, in music, like I, it just feels so innocent and experimental, and people are just like figuring things out, and there's all these new yeah. techniques and recordings, and everything's progressive and funky, and nothing's ironic or sarcastic. Like we have so much of that in, in today's music. It's not political and shit. Like <laughs> it's like the third phase of popular music when it pertains to rock, soul, R and B, that kind of thing. And uh, yeah, I mean, I often felt the same of wishing I was born a little earlier because I barely remember some of the 70s as a little kid. But that's why I love the movie Days and Confused because it gave me a window into the night in in uh, the life of high school students in 1976. And it was, uh, I mean, you're kind of in the middle of a, a great era when it comes to, to the LP. You know, so I think all, like the three albums we covered today, I think, you know, great, you know, long pieces of, uh, of art, you know, I mean, so the seventies are just, you know, full of these, these great LPs, which is interesting because also at the same time, um, or just after that, you know, you have, uh, disco and, and dance music that's more about, you know, singles and, and 12 inches. Yeah. <laughs> Beginning of the end. <laughs> In the case of most disco dancer guys, I'd say probably four inches, but ouch. <laughs> four inches of steel. <laughs> yeah, man, that's a that's a great point. Yeah, I think that's kind of what I took from this too, is this period was there was just a lot of the stuff that I love now, those seeds were really being planted and and watered nurtured talked to and then growing into some of the music that i really ended up loving like metal and hard rock even punk and everything else i think it all you know this period is is rife with experimentation and uh we hadn't run out of instruments and 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 (laughs) techniques and now we have computers that can make anything you know yeah 
So yeah, uh, I learned to appreciate a little bit more the artistry and like the Earth, Wind, and Fire. I mean, that production sounds like pristine digital production today, but it was all done analog. It's incredible what people were able to do with a little ingenuity in their basements, having a uh, wicked awesome time with all the buddies. <laughs> and that's one to grow on. I'm your density. Previously on the wheel of musical destiny, you recall we are deep in the midst of a search for the proper name for our AI bots. We have a post up on our Discord. You can uh, submit your ideas there. We also have a place up on our website where you can vote. Albnerds.com. Tell us what you think. Any ideas for what we should call this lovely sentient bot that? Won't speak to us right yeah. now and is just doing her <laughs> damn job. We need to get a name quickly, so submit your ideas, albumnerds.com slash discord and albumnerds.com. Your musical destiny is to explore albums from a year in music, 1962. What's your favorite album from 1962? What else are you listening to? Let us know. Join fellow album nerds on Discord at albumnerds.com slash Discord. You can email us at podcast at albumnerds.com or leave a voicemail at 585-210-2454. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Album Nerds. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com slash support or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. All right. So thanks for listening to the Album Nerds podcast. It was a wonderful bicentennial. And now on to 1962. See you guys next week. If I don't see you around, I'll see you square. Get it? <laughs> oh, boy. Sounds like a joke somebody might have made in 1976 or 1962. Yeah. Or 62, probably. (laughs) Why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? It's leave, you idiot. Make like a tree and leave. You sound like a damn fool when you say it wrong. (laughs) 